Welcome to the Untold Podcast, capturing the culture's imagination through speculative fiction. I'm your host, Nathan James Norman. Well, this episode is part of the Crossover Nexus event, so before we jump into today's episode and introduce our special co-host, take a listen to this. Last year, a ragtag band of Christian geek podcasters joined together, taking on a shared theme to be discussed on their respective shows. This year, like any good sequel, and any bad sequel really... They're going bigger. They aren't just sharing a theme. They're sharing themselves. In the grand tradition of the Avengers movies, or Aliens vs. Predator, or Mario and Sonic the Hedgehog, King Kong vs. Godzilla, Archie meets the Punisher. It's not just a thematic event. It's a crossover. The Christian Geek Podcasting Community begins the year 2014 by trading hosts. Listen to your favorite podcasting hosts as they mix it up on other podcasts. And meet new podcasters on your favorite podcasts. Featuring these podcasts. Geekly Oaked. The Sci-Fi Show. Untold Podcast. The Sci-Fi Christian. Real World Theology, The Story Men, Geek This Podcast, Voices in My Head, Are You Just Watching, and Strangers and Aliens. The Christian Geek Podcast Crossover. It's the Secret Wars 2 of podcasting. Only, you know, good. So our co-host this month is none other than comic writer extraordinaire Ben Avery from the Strangers and Aliens podcast. Welcome to the show, Ben. Hi. How you doing, Nathan? Oh, great. Good to have you here. Thanks for uh, joining us here. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. Yeah, that you're our first live guest, well, sort of live guest that we've ever had on this show. <laughs> so uh, if you wouldn't mind, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, uh, some of your writing, and also the Strangers and Aliens podcast. Yeah, sure. Um, I host the Strangers and Aliens podcast with uh, two other people, Steve McDonald and Dr. Jason O'Neill. They're both friends of mine. Um, and we on Strangers and Aliens, we talk about sci-fi, fantasy, and um, how it links up with uh, faith and Christianity. And sometimes, you know, it's just us talking about a movie. And sometimes we're, you know, taking on a topic like uh, uh, we're doing this. We've done a series over the last you know year and a half. <laughs> we're still not done, but, you know, Seven Deadly Sins. And just, you know, finding examples from pop culture. Um, and other times we just, you know, we post a sermon by Dr. Chase or something. But Excellent, uh, yeah. But yeah, that, that's that's the podcast. And that comes from, um, you know, what I do is basically my day job, which is uh, writing comic books. Um, I write um, primarily right now. Uh, I've been writing adaptations of Bible stories. Uh, my Book of Job, I think it's called Job, Man of Sorrows, is what they call it in the end. Uh, that's coming up pretty soon. It's a f- oh, sixty-four-page adaptation of of Job, drawn oh, by Jeff good. Slemons, who's just this amazing, amazing artist. Um, I'm also working through the Life of Christ. We're just about halfway done with the Life of Christ. It's called 
the Christ. Um, that, that's a good name. Yeah, you know, it, it, it does what's <laughs> on the chin, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I've also worked on um, the Hedge Knight and the Sworn Sword, and I just finished the script for the Mystery Knight, and those are all three novellas good. written by George R. R. Martin that I did the adaptation uh, into comic script form. And then it goes off to Mike S. Miller, who he's done all, he's doing the third one. He's done the other two. The, the artwork and it's just incredible artwork. Wow. Um, yeah. And then I've got some other small projects I'm working on my, on my own just for fun to keep myself sane because I have stories that I want to tell where I'm not just adapting someone else's story or doing the story that they say, Hey, please do this story. And I'm like, yeah, right. cause you're paying me. I'll do it. <laughs> right. So, and tell it this way. Exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, although I've been fortunate, you know, uh, getting paid to make Bible comics, that's kind of unusual. Um, and when I started writing comics professionally, there were two stories from the Bible. I really, really wanted to do. And one was the life of Christ and the other was the book of Job. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And so when Kingstone went art, my, my publisher at Kingstone came to me and said, we want to do the book of Job. Are you interested? Like, yeah, <laughs> you didn't know this, but that's on my bucket list, so to speak. I don't don't actually have a bucket list, but um, if I did have one, that would, it would be there. there. Good. So, Very good. Well, uh, I know on the Strangers and Aliens podcast, you've mentioned it, and also on uh, Facebook, uh, either through your own uh, Facebook posts or Strangers and Aliens, that uh, you've been on a crusade recently about Christian storytelling. Uh, why is that? Uh, here's the deal. And I'm I'm not... When I say this, I'm not speaking negatively about any certain people who might hold this view um, because there, I count some of them dear friends and, and other ones, I count them dear acquaintances. Um, but I, I've been hearing a lot and reading a lot on it's coming up on Facebook all over the place and my Christian creative friends making posts. But it's also coming up. There was one day now this this was a while ago. This was last year, but three different podcasts were in my queue, three different people, three different times. They weren't like all posted the same week, but they were all in my queue the same afternoon when I was cleaning our church. Mm. And all three of them just, just offhandedly just were saying things like, you know, well, you know, it was a Christian book and we all know what that means, you know, and, <laughs> or, oh, no. or basically, you know, well, you remember those terrible Christian books, you know, and, just this kind of condemnation of Christian, specifically Christian literature, Christian uh, sci-fi, that mm. is basically if, if C.S. Lewis or J.R.R. Tolkien didn't write it, oh, and they'll throw in Chesterton sometimes, you know. Oh, well, yeah. Um, but if, if it wasn't written by them or if it was written after them, it's not any good. There is no good Christian stuff out there. And mm. just automatically Christian stuff is subpar. And, and they couch it in terms of a call to greatness and a call to excellence, which I don't deny that. And I don't I'm not against them when they say that. It just bothers me the way they just out of hand dismiss any novels in a Christian bookstore. You know? Yeah, that's a that's a pretty wide swath that you're. Uh, it it you're, really you're is. There. And I do understand that it comes from. A, possibly getting burned, you know, picking up a book and just starting to read it and realizing, oh, this isn't very good. But, right. you know, they slap a Christian title on it and, you know, suddenly they can think they can sell it to anyone, you know, who walks into the, the Christian bookstore. Uh, and then I think it also comes from just this kind of uh, stereotype, uh, this this kind of unfounded 
but unfortunate cliche that, you know, if it's Christian, it's not good. And mm. so my, my crusade this year is to, A, maybe stop complaining. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, and I think we'll talk a little bit about some of the whys, because there are reasons why Christian movies don't stand up to the Hollywood blockbusters. And they're sure. very good reasons. And and I you, you cut a little bit of slack, maybe, or you don't, you know, and, and the trend seems to be, no, we're not going to, you know, fireproof wasn't as good as, um, you know, 50 days of summer, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> uh, and so why well, we're Christians, why would you, why would we show grace to anything? I mean, uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, but there's reasons why. And, and like I said, we may talk about that when you and I do our, um, conversation from the other side on, on strangers and aliens. Um, the kind Absolutely. of the sequel, the sequel yes, to this conversation. The sequel to this. So the, the, yeah. this episode doesn't end on the Untold podcast. You right. gotta go over to Strangers and Aliens. We'll continue this conversation. So, but but uh, what I was saying was, while there might be reasons for that, um, and and I understand people, you know, kind of buying into that. My goal, my crusade, if you want to call it that, is to shine a light on the good stuff. Yeah, and to to hold up and say okay here's this fantasy novel i just found um and i did some of that last year i interviewed ryan dunlap who's a filmmaker and a, and a writer yes, yeah um he wrote a book called the wind merchant all right wonderful book it's a wonderful book and so when someone says well you know there's no good christian sci-fi and fantasy out there what they're saying is either a ryan dunlap's book isn't good or b I don't even know who Ryan Dunlap is and what, what is right. this book you're talking about? Right. And so, um, you know, so that's one. And then there's the, you know, Flight of Angels by the Rainies, um, mm. which is a, another really uh, yeah. fun book. I enjoyed reading it. Um, and and that, you know, we did an interview with them on, on the podcast. And I did an interview with Ryan Dunlap. Um, there was the movie Remember, which I was really fascinated by. They, they filmed that movie for $4,000. Um Micro budget wow. feature film, wow. and wow. that was that was their thing. You know, they're into the micro budget thing because they had a micro budget, <laughs> and they were in communication with uh, you know on, on some sort of web forum where they were talking about making the micro budget movie, and so they went ahead and they did it. And that was another interview that I did. Um, they contacted me after we did a a podcast episode called you know Where Are the Good Christian Sci Fi, and they said, Well, we've got this. You want to see it? And I said, Yeah. Yeah, I want to sure. see yeah. it. I do. And, um, you know, but there's budget things going on there. And again, that comes into some of the why is, are some things not as good as, you know, like the Hollywood blockbuster. But, um, boy, if they did not put out considering where they are at as far as how much time they've had to hone their craft, but then mm. also where they're at with the budget they have, they yeah. squeezed every single possible penny out of that $4,000. Not one penny went to waste. And in fact, they got more than their money's worth for it because there was a lot of stuff they got for free as far as costuming and stuff like that. Well, not for free, but costuming at Goodwill. And, and, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and people coming in and helping out uh, as extras in the background and that kind of thing. So so that's, so, my, that's my crusade. So you're on the crusade to uh, not... 
advocate that all Christian stories that are on the bookshelves or, or movies no. are, are good. No, 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 no. <laughs> but that there is some really good stuff and it can stand uh, even head and shoulders, maybe above its uh, secular, if you want to even use that term, counterparts. Um, but uh, but there's a, there's a kernel in here, and this is kind of where uh, our worlds and our podcasts certainly overlap, is uh, it's important that these Christians are telling stories and good stories and engaging stories. Mm-hmm. Um, so from your humble but correct perspective, uh, <laughs> why is it important for Christians to tell stories? Why is storytelling important? Well, I've got two approaches to this answer. And one approach is, you know, why is it important for Christians to um, you know, be good plumbers and, and to plumb <laughs> and, and why is it important for Christians to farm and why is it important for Christians to, you know, be doctors? And that's, it's, it's, it's a societal need, um, mm. as far as, you know, just having good stories, um, and being able to engage, like you were saying that the purpose of art is to connect mm. when you are creating art. Mm. That's something I got out of my, uh, my film writing um, program that I went to in, in, in Los Angeles called Act One, writing oh, for great. Hollywood. Yeah, I didn't get into that. Um, <laughs> I, I went back in 2000. And uh, the reason I remember it was 2000 is because while I was there learning about making great art, um, some buddies of mine and I uh, who were there, we went to uh, see Godzilla 2000. Um, mm-hmm. Because it was in theaters. And <laughs> so anyway, yeah, 2000. But... um. I, I went there, and the one thing that they they were, it was just kind of the theme was just um, only connect, which I think comes from a a Flannery O'Connor uh, yeah. quote, and mm-hmm. you know, but that being the purpose of art is to connect. Well, and and what that gets into is the power of story, and this is kind of that other part of the, the question. You know, we uh, as far as connecting, and ha- story has power. And when you are telling a story, you're connecting with another human being, uh, you or any kind of art, really, um, if it's especially if it's good, but even bad art yeah. connects. Yep. And there's a responsibility in that, um, you know, for someone, for anyone, especially a creator to say, well, it's just a story. Uh, that's not entirely true. It's something that if it's done well, connects. It's something that um, gets into people's brains. It enters, you know, the the thought process in a different way than, say, just, you know, a graph or, uh, you know, statistics right? or something like that. You're connecting on an emotional Mm. level because we want and enjoy people's stories. When you come home from work and your wife says, how was your day? You know, if you're having a great season in your relationship with your wife um you know if you're not you know you might say fine you know your wife right okay here's you know whatever and aren't you gonna ask about my day um (laughs) because you know because what happens when you start asking about your day you start telling stories yes you know and why are you telling stories so you can understand you know the reason i'm going to tell the story about my day to my wife so she can understand how my day went. And the reason she's going to tell her story about her day to me is so I can understand how her day went. So we can make connection. And now those are nonfiction stories, but the same thing's true, I think, of fiction stories. Whether it's to make someone laugh, make someone think, make someone cry, you're connecting. 
And so there's a responsibility that as a Christian, the responsibility is even greater. Um, and you need to take it even more seriously. That's not to say every single story has to, you know, bring to light a specific thing about God's grace or God's nature or that kind of thing. Um, you know, I spent 20 minutes telling two awful, awful, terrible, stupid jokes to my kids last night. Um, <laughs> they're great jokes. Uh, they're story jokes, you know, and they, they were each, you know, five, seven minutes long. And my kids just listened and listened and listened. And when I got to the punchline, we all just laughed our heads off, except for my <laughs> wife, who just looked at me like, that took you five minutes. You know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but that's where, you know, the, I wasn't necessarily thinking about this philosophical stuff we're talking about here. But the truth is, looking at that time together, that was time we spent together engaging with each other over these really stupid stories <laughs> that it's, you know, juvenile humor at best. Not that it was, you know, scatological humor or anything like that, but, um, yeah, but it wasn't, but it was humor and you connected with your yeah, kids. Exactly. It, it wasn't, um, it wasn't anything profound, you know, it wasn't very sophisticated. It was just a <laughs> dumb story with a terrible punchline that was just really fun and funny. And so that's, that's, uh, you know, kind of a long winded answer to your question, but, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's why it's important for Christians to be writing and telling stories is to engage and connect and, you know, and that's why it's important to do it with excellence and to learn your craft. But I'll just also say part of my crusade is to say someone who is still learning their craft should not be forced to step down and shut up because their story is not as good as what you think it should be. Um, mm. And by you, I don't mean you, Nathan. Oh, but, uh, no, actually, I am. <laughs> no, <laughs> what you fun. think, Nathan, is not about what you think. <laughs> I'm done. I'm talking I'm to you leaving. directly right now. I'm done with this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but it's true. I, you make a great point. I mean, and, and that that go translates right back into what you started off saying just because the amateur plumber or or not even the amateur but the um uh, the apprentice plumber yeah. doesn't quite know exactly how to do things doesn't mean okay go home you don't know what you're doing uh <laughs> go look at youtube videos until you can figure this out right right no <laughs> that person needs to have people come alongside hear criticism uh, make mistakes and learn from his or her um his mistakes and move on. Um, same with, with preaching. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pastor in a small church and we had a summer missionary up all summer and a great young guy. And I started him off and I said, all right, you're going to be preaching this text on this day. I will walk with you every step of the way, but you're going to get up there and preach it twice. Cause we have two uh, services. <laughs> and, um, and it was just, um, it, it was his first sermon. He'd never done that before. Hadn't really done any public speaking. Uh, and it was, uh, it was nerve wracking. It was, uh, it was hard, but it, it was, um, something that I told the congregation, we need to do this because there was a, a point in my life, uh, and I've been, oh gosh, doing this for almost 14 years now. Um, when my youth pastor came to me and said, you're going to share your testimony and this is where you're going to do it. And this is how you're going to do it. And there you go. Um, and you grow and you learn. Um, the first time's never good. Uh, well, I shouldn't say never good, but it, it's not perfect. It's not as good as my first time I've, I preached wasn't good nearly as I, I do now. Uh, nor was it five years ago, nor was it last year. Uh, you grow in your craft. 
Yeah. And uh, and that's important to to do that. And uh, that brings it right back to Christian grace too, yeah. and realizing where someone is in their journey. Well, of, here's uh, something. Practicing. Yeah. Here's something I I just came across though. You know, I'm writing the life of Christ. Um, the other graphic novel I'm writing along with that, so it's it'll be 12 chapters for the life of Christ. But then there's mm. one single graphic novel that's the disciples. Uh, it's one chapter in that single graphic novel for each disciple. Some are four pages long, and, yeah. and others longer. But uh, for because of what we know about them. Yeah. Here's something I noticed, though, and I never thought about it this way. Uh, when Jesus sends out the 12, and he has been showing them by example how to do this you know, teaching and, and, and reaching out to people and stuff like that, he sends out the 12, and that's what they go out and do. They'd go out and do what Jesus had taught them to do and shown them to do. And so they're going out. They're praying over people. People are getting healed. They're proclaiming the good news. And I was looking at this and realizing just what was happening there was they were going out and being, you know, little Christ Christians. Yeah. Um, they were going out being uh, uh, the the mentees of the greatest mentor. Uh, but then the other thing that happened right after that, or you know, as far as kind of the chronology of things, is that they tried. You know, when Jesus went up for the transfiguration, some of the other disciples tried to cast a demon out. And it wouldn't come out. So when Jesus comes down, it's really interesting. The perspective it gives you in the in the writing of the gospel is he comes down and sees people arguing with the disciples. Uh, the, the disciples are arguing with some teachers of the law. And he says, well, what's the argument about? And that's when the father comes running up and says, I had this boy. He has this spirit. And the disciples can't get him out. And and that's where Jesus is. He, he casts the demon out, of course. And... When he does it, he that's where he says, oh, this this unfaithful generation, you know, and the disciples come up to him and say, well, why couldn't we? And uh, <laughs> he says, because you didn't have the faith, you know, if you had faith as small as a mustard seed, you'd be able to move mountain. But, you know, you didn't have faith. And and that's where you see, you know, him just like like you were saying, coming alongside mm. and saying, you know, I've taught you guys. I sent you out. You know, I trusted you enough to send you out to do this. You're still not there, but you will be, you know, we're going to. Yeah. And, and so it's a I, uh, discipleship is a, is a huge, huge thing in any craft. Um, but you, especially, you know, for this kind of thing, like when you're giving a message and you're carrying a message, that's, that's where, again, excellence is required, but not on your first time out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. You don't, you don't send your kids to baseball expecting them to <laughs> <laughs> knock it out of the ballpark. Uh, and if they do, man, sign immediately. <laughs> well, and there's more to it. Uh, there's there's some other things that go along with that, but I'll save that for the sequel. You know, I'll save that All right, for so we'll, we'll, we'll pick up the rest of this conversation uh, after, well, uh, over at uh, Strangers and Aliens at strangersandaliens.com. And uh, but we'll transition now to talk about our story for this month uh, for the Untold podcast. And our story this month was written by David N. Alderman. David N. Alderman is the author of two edgy Christian speculative fiction series, uh, Black Earth and Expired Reality. He also runs the Crossover Alliance, a community for readers and writers of this specialized genre that's uh, edgy Christian speculative fiction uh, to come together and build upon each other's interests. Most of David's days are spent with family, writing, or video gaming. 
You can find all of David N. Alderman's work over at www.davidnalderman.com. You can follow his blog at davidnalderman.blogspot.com. And you can find more about the Crossover Alliance at thecrossoveralliance.com, where you can also read about the upcoming short story uh, anthology featuring edgy speculative fiction. And actually, you can also submit a story uh, if you'd like to, uh, to do that. And all that stuff is over at thecrossoveralliance.com. Be sure to head over to our show notes for the direct links. And uh, seriously, if you're in edgy speculative fiction, and if something like that sounds like uh, something you want to check out, you need to go read his four-book series, Black Earth. It's one of my favorites, which is why I'm super excited for this month's episode, because it takes place within the Black Earth universe. So now, The Untold Podcast is proud to present The Spigot, a post-Black Earth story by David N. Alderman. Church bells ring out faintly in the distance, clanging to the melody of an old church hymn I learned in my youth. I cannot remember the words, nor the name of the tune, and besides, the ringing bells do nothing to comfort my wounded spirit or quench my thirst. So why would I bother myself with such semantics? There is really only one thing I have to keep me company here in the dark on this creaky balcony. A word. Regret. I swallow it with a gulp, and it slowly melts into my bloodstream like a poison, corrupting my thoughts, dismantling my hope. My leg is hurt. I'm not certain if it's broken, but it's certainly bleeding and in pain. The tourniquet I crafted from my pants leg is soaked in blood and still holding tightly, but it's not the pain or the darkness, really, that's getting to me. I've endured weeks of darkness. I've experienced my share of pain in this lifetime. It's my daughter's screams that send chills down my spine, that remind me that I am alive only long enough to feel death. Her screams ceased a little while ago, but now... As I take a deep breath of the foul air around me, a mix of burning flesh, machine oil, and I'm not sure what that other stench is. Maybe sulfur? I am filled with that venomous word, regret. But aren't we all filled with regret when we come to the end of things? When we find ourselves close to the finish line? That's when we slow down and turn around, and that's when we are able to witness the gaping holes we left behind, the moments we skipped over like open potholes in the road. And suddenly, just like that, we want those moments back so we can take part in them, so we can make our life feel and look more fulfilling than it really was. But we can't have those moments back. And I can't have her back my little Jasmine, barely a teenager, taken from me by those... What are those things in the factory behind me? They wear decorative masks, their bodies are adorned with black stone, and they whisper in a language I cannot interpret. They took her from me, 
And now all I can do is sit here with a wounded leg, with gashes in my flesh, and listen to her shrill voice cry out for me, beckoning for me above the sound of church bells. Why, God? These are the only words I have strength to whisper in this land of demons. I am weak, and I am thirsty. I know I shouldn't question the Almighty, but I have no choice in these circumstances. I want to know why we were chosen to go through this trial. I want to know why my daughter, my only daughter, was taken from me. I want to know how, how God could allow such a malevolent force to invade our planet. Her screams stop. I can only imagine that she is sobbing now. They are doing horrible things to her. But what horrible things? Torture? Are they peeling back her skin? Are they plucking out her eyes? Are they... <sighs> Forgive me, Lord, for thinking such things. <sighs> Are they having their way with her body? With her very flesh of my flesh? I don't even care anymore. I don't care what they've done to her. I just want her back. Even if she is just a functionless container for the beautiful spirit residing within, I just want her back. The absence of her screams and the church bells has left me an opportunity to rest, to heal. As badly as I want to die, I find myself with a strand of hope that cannot be shaken off my person, like a strand of dog hair that refuses to release itself from a cotton coat. Hope that I will see her again on this plane of existence. Hope that while she is still alive, there is a chance, however minute, that she can be rescued. Hope that the cavalry will storm the factory, the castle of demons, dismantling the infernal machinery, tearing through those masked puppets with hot lead, rescuing my daughter from the terrifying grip of a monstrosity. This hope is a stubborn thing. Something I would like to release myself from. I cannot, however. It is hope. It is stubborn. And it is all I have left. I close my eyes. There is no change in scenery at first. My head is at once full of the same darkness my eyes have been exposed to. And then... The recent past comes into my eyes, my ears, my nostrils. Aluminum wind chimes tinkle together like champagne glasses on New Year's Eve, each hollow tube caressed by the currents of wind coming down from the hills. I hear the sound of Jasmine's laugh from within the house, her voice carrying through the house like an echo through the Grand Canyon. Hindsight is certainly 2020. I now understand that these sounds, these rhythms of peace, had done nothing more than lull me into a false sense of security. I have learned that when the world is at its most peaceful, it is the most opportune time for the enemy to strike. Peace before the end of days is false, temporary, and utterly disappointing. It is fake, like so many politicians, like so many infomercials, like so many things. It began with the stars falling from the sky. Of course, they were not real stars. 
Many people mistakenly call meteorites falling stars, but these weren't even meteorites. I would have welcomed a meteorite landing in my 12-acre yard. I did not welcome what landed that day. The black pillar of rock, a vessel for a new kind of evil, a vessel for Legion. The impact destroyed my farmhouse, but did not decimate my cellar. I kept Jasmine safe, even after I waited a couple days before surfacing. I fell into the same false sense of security, thinking nothing of the towering rock formation. It was then that Jasmine and I traveled, searching for safety somewhere, anywhere. And as we traveled, the world grew darker. Violence swept through the nation. Instead of wind chimes and the sound of a child's laughter, bombs and death groans and the rat-a-tat-tat of rifles filled our ears. Amid the sounds of war and chaos, Jasmine and I heard the clanging of bells. A sweet melody. One we didn't recognize at first because of how complacent our ability to hear had become. Once we recognized the sound as church bells, we followed the melody, cutting through the war-torn city with no name, hiding from the dark army, merging within the shadows to escape the shadows. We reached a chapel, surrounded by demons and other abominations, all of which seemed reluctant to get within fifty feet of the building. Some of the demons seemed to be losing their minds, tossing and turning on the asphalt, covering their tiny pink ears as if the chimes of the church were spewing acid upon their damned souls. Something about the tune, something about the sweet melody, kept those abominations at a distance from that holy place. Jasmine and I made our way inside only to find the place being used as a base of operations for a branch of Daisy's Defiance. We decided to stay and rest there. I found a radio that allowed me to drown out the sound of violence with some 80s music. The man in charge of the chapel's defiance group told me they were on a mission to shut down one of the factories that the Dark Army was using to produce weapons of mass destruction. Giant mechanical creatures called Goliaths that were impossible to stop with bullets and impervious to acids and nuclear fallout. At the time, I hadn't seen one of these creations yet, but I believe they existed. Jasmine and I had seen enough horror to last three lifetimes, and I wanted to do what I could to stop Legion's advance across the earth. But the mission the Defiance was set to embark on wasn't just about shutting the factory down. Rumors had begun to spread of the discovery of a powerful light that could expel the darkness, specifically Legion's darkness. This wasn't the same as the light, the dark light coming from the supernatural lighthouses that were popping up around the world. No, this was said to be liquid light. Light that was tangible, light that could be bottled and spread and shared with one another, light that could be used to turn the tide of this terrifying, unholy war. With a heavy heart, I debated on leaving Jasmine with the Defiance Group to help them shut down the factory and find this liquid light. While I was weighing my options, Jasmine went missing. She had overheard the Defiance plans and made a beeline for the factory, which was only a few miles from where the chapel was situated. 
A small portion of the Defiance group accompanied me to the factory to retrieve my daughter. When we reached the factory, I found Jasmine's tattered sweater wrapped around the end of a broomstick and placed in front of the main entrance. Whoever had taken her was taunting me, and I knew it. Jasmine's sweater paralyzed me. I sobbed and sobbed until one of the Defiance members shoved a rifle into my hands, snapping me away from my self-pity. We all stormed the factory that day. Nobody in the group was prepared for what was inside that place. Humans, their flesh covered in shimmering black rock and stone masks covering their faces, stood around a pit full of endless darkness, chanting in an unknown language. I had seen humans like that before, elsewhere in the world. I had run from them back then. Verush Mahum were the only two words I could discern from their mumbling. But whatever they were chanting, whatever language their tongues were uttering, their words were attempting to call forth some kind of monstrosity from that pit. We all thought the stone-laden humans were an easy kill at that point. The Defiance had learned that the stone that covered their flesh was easy to break off, brittle to the touch. This made them defenseless and vulnerable. We fired upon them, but they held their own against the bullets with incredible displays of magic, casting shields of light to defend themselves. Then, shadow dogs, known as hellhounds, struck from out of nowhere, tearing apart a few members of our team. The few of us who remained scrambled to kill the dogs, and did so but only just before a figure made of shadows, one who resembled a man-sized crow, tore two of them apart in a sickening bloodbath. I managed to find a hiding spot amidst some piles of massive eye beams a spot that the hellhounds weren't able to sniff out, and I watched as the crow man ordered the masked slaves to continue chanting. I waited for what felt like hours until something began to rise from the pit of darkness. This wasn't a brewler. Those were hideous beasts who fed on the masked followers and could level entire buildings. This was something different. A massive mechanical creature with the form of a human. Large chunks of human or animal flesh had been fused to the metal parts in a very clumsy manner, like the patches on a homeless man's clothing, and atop the shoulders of the hulking beast was a six-sided face made of solid steel, each facet resembling a different look of fear. The creature held a massive coal lantern the size of a semi-truck tire in its right hand. I wasn't sure what it was that I was staring at, but it horrified me. I had heard the campfire stories going around about the Dark Army and Evanescence, and even the masked people. Stories of dark beings, of portals to other worlds, and even stories of Satan himself. 
I didn't believe half the tales. The other half horrified me. But nothing about them really put me into shock. Not like this thing. Half human, half metal. And what of the lantern? Didn't the dark army hate light? But they did have those lighthouses. The mechanical monster, or golem, as it reminded me of the childhood stories, stepped out of a vat of blue and purple liquid and began to move through the factory, metal feet clanging against the concrete floor as it moved toward the doorway we had blown open upon our arrival. I crouched down behind my hiding spot, praying I wouldn't be seen, knowing that this thing could surely crush me with one blow. The creature moved past my location, allowing me to breathe a sigh of relief. I thought I was all clear until the crow man stopped and approached me. I looked up at him. That face of a crow, those beady black eyes, and that long black beak. The rest of his form consisted of blurred shadows. I did not want to give him cause to kill me. Something about him upset my spirit. I felt as if I were staring into pure evil. I stood up with my hands in the air, dropping my rifle as I did so. I knew I didn't stand a chance against them, not by myself. If I could get myself captured, at least I had a chance to find out where Jasmine had been taken. The crow man screeched, but words did not come out of his beak. He simply pointed, and the towering creature pointed his lantern toward me. A beam of black hit me in the face, surrounding me in darkness. Thick darkness. Darkness I could barely breathe in. Then I felt claws scraping at my chest, my neck, my arms. I screamed, but the darkness stole my voice and carried it away, leaving me with an open mouth and foul air that smelled of raw sewage seeping into my lungs. I scrambled through the darkness, my faltering breath praying to God, praying for deliverance from this terrible thing, this terrible place. Sharp talons dug into my back and traveled vertically down my spine, cutting through the cloth of my shirt and the skin of my flesh. I tripped on something hard, and I felt my legs snap. Again, I tried to scream, but all that came out was breath, feeble and terrified breath. I picked myself up and continued to move forward despite my injury. I fumbled through the darkness, my hand finding purchase on a doorknob. When I turned it, it led me out onto a balcony shrouded in darkness save for an orange glow illuminating the factory windows. I now want to die. Nothing exists for me now but darkness and screams. I can once again hear her voice, Jasmine. To know she is alive, but to lack the means to reach her is a cold reality that is too much for me to bear. If I had a gun, I would end things right now, make it to where I would not have to endure this torment. But hope has forced me to live.
Hope has carried me upon its shoulders and pressed forward for me, because God knows I do not have the strength or the will to do so on my own. I know if I could get back to the chapel, then I could warn the defiance of the factory, warn them of the crow man, warn them of the monstrosity carrying that horrible lantern, warn them of the darkness, the darkness that is worse than the darkness. My mouth is dry and unable to satisfy its need to swallow. Water is what I need, just a few drops. I have no idea how I would get water in my condition. In fact, I am wondering why nobody has come after me. Maybe they know I am dead, a goner, left here to deal with my inadequacies, to deal with the shortcomings that brought me here. I just know that I need water. Thirsty. My eyes are growing heavy. They are tired from fixating on the orange glow in the windows of the factory. The glow of chaos being born, the glow of evil being crafted out of magic and metal and flesh. My hearing seems to be dimming, my ears tired of straining to hear the agonizing sound of my daughter's voice. A voice I will never hear again after this point in time. I feel myself slip sideways across the wall, and then I stop at something hard and metal. I slowly sit up straight and reach out to touch what feels like a spigot. Delirious, I cannot help but laugh. The whole time I have been thirsting for water, a spigot hid here in plain sight. Even though I may not have found the liquid light that Defiance was after, I have found water, and water will be enough to sustain me here in my final hours, to give me time to mourn the loss of my daughter, to give me time for that shred, that inkling of hope to materialize into something greater. It probably won't, but it will have the opportunity to. I reach down and grasp the handle in my hand, feeling the grooves that my fingers fit so neatly within. I turn, hearing a squeak, and then I turn some more, my lips dry and eager to drink the life-sustaining sustenance. But instead of water, instead of cold, dark liquid that would do something to heal my dry lips, my parched throat, Something else comes through the pipes. Something else exits the spigot to greet me out here in the darkness. Light. Golden, bright light. Once the spigot gushes that beautiful stream of honey-colored matter, it floods the area, dousing the darkness, destroying the suffocating shadows which threaten to molest me. Before I know it, the light engulfs me, wraps me in a sweet melody, sings to me songs of peace and songs of hope, belted out in the joyous sound of my daughter's voice. I am overcome by this light. I am on my knees. And before I know it, all I have around me is light. And the factory with its abominations and its evil things, is gone, as am I.
And that was our story. I hope you liked it. Uh, ben, what'd you, uh, what'd you like about the story? Now, have you read the Black Earth series? Well, actually, that's, that's the thing is, um, you know, you sent this to me uh, because when I knew I was going to do this, this with you, I wanted to read it. And um, I actually have not read the Black Earth series. And so this is where, you know, I, reading, I do have a couple things that I wanted to, to mention, or maybe at least, well, maybe just one thing, but um, that it kind of stuck out to me. But a lot of this comes from the fact that I, I've never read the, the books at all. And so now I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, we just talked about the crusade. I'm looking for this. Um, so it seems like I might've found something else to add to my, uh, my list of things to read. Um, because I'm curious reading this, this happens after the black earth. Yeah. And that's why one of the reasons I was really excited too, because this is something I, I'm not going to do any spoilers here, but this takes place chronologically after uh, the four part or the four book series. Um, and this doesn't really give uh, too much away. You get a little bit of an overview of the world mm -hmm. uh, in it. And, uh, and one of the things I liked about the book series is it's kind of like in C.S. Lewis versus like J.R.R. Tolkien, where in Tolkien you have a very well crafted and everyone's got a history, the elves and the dwarves and orcs. And we, we know where all this stuff happens. And C.S. Lewis's Narnia was kind of like, well, there's a fawn over here and the werewolf came out of nowhere and minotaurs. Eh, we don't need the backstory. And, and that's fine too. Um, it's just a, a, a bunch of, of fantasy things. Like, they stoke your imagination. And that that's kind of in a much darker way. Uh, the Black Earth series is very much like that. There's all of these things going on, and where did this come from? It's just oh my goodness, and uh, he moves on, and it's just like what you feel like one of the characters in the story because you're just what what, it, what am I looking at? This is crazy. This is chaos. <laughs> okay, so let me ask you this then: uh, as far as this story goes, this happens after the fourth book. Is there a fifth book coming? Well, he's got a second series, the Expired Reality series, and those books lead. I mean, the, the four books stand alone. You can get the story out of there. It's, it follows the monomythic cycle, uh, essentially. And there's there's like a paragraph at the end that connects it to the next uh, the next story, but the, or the next series. But the next series deals with different characters and different issues, and hmm. um, and so he's got this Expired Reality series, and I think he's got two. Uh, out right now and, and maybe a, a third coming and, and that one's going to be a pretty extensive series from what I understand. Um, so yeah, he's, he's a pretty, pretty prolific, very, very unique uh, writer. Um, but book two, yeah, he did something in book two that man, it was good. I mean, story-wise it was great, but I'm reading this thing. Don't go there. Don't go there. <laughs> Which is good. So, so this story itself, um, what, what'd you like about the story? Well, I, I mean, I was confused, but I, I just because, uh, you know, this story throws you in the middle of things uh, right. toward the end. Then obviously it kind of sets things up, you know, the broken leg and everything. It's oh, there's that's where it came from. But um, the one thing I, I liked about this and I was reminded of um, Highlander and I was oh. reminded of, uh, you know, vampires and that kind of thing where, you know, kind of that safe house of the, the chapel, the bells. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. you know, you've kind of got this this. this um, a buffer zone where you know none of the evil things can come in, and when they try, you know they're just you know scrambling and wriggling on the ground and that kind of thing. And um, you know, I I liked it because here you have you know the safe place that you can go into, but then at the same time, along with that, you have uh the people, you know. And again, I don't know much about what's going on in the world. I just know from this story, but you have the people you know leaving the place to go and try and 
you know, do the stuff. And so it just reminded me of some, you know, parts of the Christian life as far as being, um, we do need our safe havens, mm. you know, but at the same time, there's, there's work to do outside of them. Um, right. But again, I can't put that in the context of the fuller story. I'm not sure, you know, um, if I'm reading into that a little bit because I don't know the fuller story, but. No, but I think that's a that's a great insight into. I I hadn't even picked up on that, but that's a great uh, spiritual insight that you have on that. Absolutely, not not the Highlander comment, but well, you know, <laughs> there's there is you know there's there are truths that can be found in Absolutely. outside sources. And, oh yeah, uh, I, I love the source. Uh, I I really do. To my shame, I know it's wait, the, objective. Wait, Highlander, the source, the the sci-fi original movie. <laughs> You mean the the Russia original movie that was yes. released in theaters yes. in Russia and then hidden for a couple of years before oh, yeah. sci-fi finally said, yeah, we'll use it. We'll put anything on. Uh, oh, yeah, yikes. I know. I'm, I have issues. That's Well, were you a fan of the TV series? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, because that, that definitely ties in more to the TV series than anything else, but. Yeah, certainly. It's but a, anyways, back, oh, <laughs> back oh, to the story. Oh, I know. I, I feel dirty now. Yeah, yeah objectively, I, I understand that that's a, <laughs> not a great story, but or okay. a great movie at all. But anyhow, um, yeah, go back to the story. One of the things I, uh, I really, I, I'm reading this, and when I get these submissions, I read through them, and you never know what's what's going to happen. And as I'm reading through this, it's just dark and darker and darker and darker. And I, I remember reading this going, oh, man, I don't really, I mean, we had episode 14. I don't want to do another really dark story. What's going on here? And, and then we get to the last, the last section, the last uh, paragraphs, and we see something totally bizarre. And it's really bizarre, uh, just completely and utterly bizarre. But we see almost a, in a supernatural sense, grace pushing through the darkness and um, and almost like an outsider would see Christianity or Christ reaching down in, in into our lives. And what is happening? This is weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I really I, I I got to that section. I said, "Wow, this is what a bizarre but wonderful, wonderfully odd image uh, of God's grace pushing into the darkness, the dark reality we happen to be living in at this time." So I thought there was some really awesome grace in there, and uh, it's shown stronger because of the darkness of the story. Yeah, I, I found the ending interesting. Um, you know, I was reminded of because here here's one thing I I hate in fiction is when you just have the God miracle happen. You know, it's right. all of a sudden there. Yeah. Um, and I hate it in fiction because in fiction it it feels like a cheat sometimes. You know, Stephen King, mm-hmm. The End of the Stand. I won't spoil oh, yeah. it, oh. but ugh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like I don't know how to finish this, so yeah, we'll just do this. <laughs> and it has nothing to do with anything the characters did. You know, right. it's just yep. we're just whatever. You know, God in the Machine. There it is. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, but uh, what I do like, and that comes from you know, miracles do happen in sure. real life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like, you know, in story, we have to make our characters earn, not necessarily earn the miracle as far as, you know, you know earning grace and that kind of thing. No, they got to be connected but, to the miracle, though. And, and they have to, it does have to involve, it doesn't have to come from their choice, but it has to involve choice. Mm-hmm. And that's what you have here is you have him choosing to reach down and choosing to reach and he, choosing 
hope. You know, he could just let himself die. And why re- why drink water if you're just going to die, if you're going to kill yourself, which he's yeah. considering. But no, I'm going to choose hope. I'm going to go ahead and turn the spigot on, get a drink of water. Um, and and that's where, okay, because he chose to do that, um, you know, the movement was able to happen. And, and, and it was, he was reaching for hope, reaching for God in a way, you know, in a way that um, I would have been, I would have felt cheated if all of a sudden he's just laying there and all of a sudden, oh, this gold stuff is splashing on me. Right. What's going right. on? <laughs> wow. You know, cool. Yeah. Now I have hope. But, you know, he chose hope and he and he was rewarded. Um, now, and depending on the story, you can do you, you can go against what I just said. You know, it still can work. I'm just <laughs> saying, uh, generally speaking, I don't like that. And so here you have what could have been that and it wasn't. So I was glad to see see that. So, yeah, no, good stuff. <clears throat> yeah. So we're um, we're going to move on here and uh, conclude our show. Uh, I think this was great stuff. I really appreciate David Alderman giving us this story. So our listeners should be sure to check out David and Alderman's work over at davidandalderman.com. Uh, I'd also like to thank my co-host, Ben Avery, from the Strangers and Aliens podcast. Uh, remember to check him out over at strangersandaliens.com and uh, look at the other shows featured in this crossover nexus. I'll have a link to that uh, that list uh, up on the show notes. So head over to untoldpodcast.com and check that out. Yeah, there's a lot and, of great podcasts out there. And oh, yeah. They're doing good yeah. stuff. And that's a, another big thing why we're doing this crossover is just get people to know each other, you know, and introduce people to the Untold Podcast and Sci-Fi Christian and Strangers and Aliens, all that kind of thing. So. Thank you for doing the crossover and being a part of it. Oh, thanks for inviting me. Uh, absolutely. You know, my uh, my denomination, um, uh, one of the many slogans that we have is uh, together we're stronger. And uh, it's true as, as believers in Christ, um, especially if we, you know, uh, the nitpicky, the smaller things, but the major issues, um, if we can agree on those and we work together, uh, we can accomplish some amazing things. Uh, Ephesians 4 for that. <laughs> <laughs> for that reference. But anyways, uh, while you're checking all that out, remember that... This podcast is part of the Christian Geek Central Network at ChristianGeekCentral.com. So as we go, please remember to subscribe to our show, join us on our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, blog about us, and tell your friends. Until next time, I'm Nathan James Norman, and I'm going to let Ben Avery leave you with a few thoughts and a closing line. Go ahead, yeah, Ben. yeah. You know, reading through the story, I, I found this one section of the story that just reminded me of something that happened the other day uh, when I just had a really great dinner, awesome pizza. Uh, at least I thought it was awesome. But, you know, later that night, I was sitting in the living room with my wife and, you know, this this line pretty much describes the whole situation. <clears throat> Her scream ceased a little while ago, but now, as I take a deep breath of the foul air around me, a mix of burning flesh, machine oil, and I'm not sure what that other stench is, maybe sulfur. I am filled with that venomous word, regret. <laughs>